If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the New Testament book of Luke. We will be in Luke chapter 1, and we will begin in verse 67 in just a moment. Luke chapter 1 and verse 67, and today we're going to look at, uh, we're going to continue our look at uh, Jesus' birth. Of course, it is the, uh, the Christmas season. Next week we'll have our Christmas play, and then the following week will be Christmas Eve already. Two weeks from today is Christmas Eve, and that's, that is, that, that's crazy. And so anyway, we are going to look at, at his birth. Last week we looked at the perplexity of Jesus' birth. You remember the angel came in and, and spoke to Mary and gave her a puzzling salutation, a perplexing salutation. Today we're going to look at the salvation of Jesus' birth. And where we pick up today is about three months after our text that we looked at last week. You remember at, at that point... Um, Mary's relative Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Where we pick up today, she has given birth to John the Baptist. They take him into the uh, into the temple eight days later to uh, circumcise him and officially name him. And um, and and you remember you remember the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zachariah had gotten a promise from God that um, that they were going to have a child in their old age. He did not believe that, and because of his unbelief, he was made unable to speak. But at this point, where we're going to pick up today. God has restored his ability to speak whenever he says his name uh, shall be called John. Uh, he's restored in his ability to speak, and immediately he begins to prophesy, and that's what we're going to look at. And it's interesting because he's at the, 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 the dedication, essentially, of John the Baptist, his own child, and you would think that this prophecy that he gives would center on John the Baptist, his, his office as forerunner of the Messiah, and so forth. But he doesn't really speak about John the Baptist hardly at all. Instead, he focuses on Jesus' birth, and specifically the deliverance and salvation that God would bring in the person of Christ. So that's what we'll look at today. I know you just got to sit down, but if you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word, and we'll pick up in verse 67. It says, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of of David his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to, to, give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in, the, in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, where we pick up in our text, um, I I want you to start back at verse 67. And the first thing I want you to see is the prophetic word. The prophetic word. Now, if you look back at verse 67, you'll see that the Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to prophesy. Now, Now, this is significant because this is a prophecy. This is not an opinion. This is not a, 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 a hope for the future. You know, sometimes we look at, at the year ahead and we say, boy, I sure hope that this year is better than last year. I hope that this is going to happen this year. I hope that's going to happen la- uh, this year because this, this past year, the, these past couple of years, things have been really rotten for me. 
This is not a, a, a wishful hope for the future. This is not uh, best wishes. This is not a, a, best, a, a best guess about the future. It is the inspired word of God. It could just as easily have been started out saying, Thus saith the Lord. This came by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, now we've talked about this in the past, but oftentimes when a prophet would, would speak, uh, would, would prophesy whenever they would preach, oftentimes... Um, they they would they they would give a prediction about well, some of the time they would give a prediction about future events. More often than not, a prophet did not foretell the future. That they were not foretellers. For the most part, a prophet was a foreteller. In other words, they would call people back to the law of God. That the things that they knew that the people knew that they were supposed to be doing. God said, "Do this, don't do that," and the people would 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 go astray of that. And so the prophets many times would rise up and say, you guys are not living right, you're doing injustice, you're doing all these things, you need to turn back to God. But sometimes they did foretell the future, and that's what Zacharias is is doing. He's in the foretelling category. And someone has said, these prophets call things that are not as though they were, because they were determined by God. And that's exactly what Zacharias does. Now as we look at the content of what he says, I want you to see second... Christ's saving work. Christ's saving work. Look at verse 68. He begins by blessing God. Now again, we've talked about this in the past, but when a person blesses God, they're not bestowing some benefit on God. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our praises. But when somebody blesses God, they are magnifying Him. They're glorifying Him. They're lifting up Him and making Him uh, making him uh, known, they're, 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 they're extolling him, they're saying, you are important. You are the most important thing. You are valuable. And that's what he does. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? Look at what he says. Verse 68, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Now that, that terminology, <coughs> excuse me, we read it, we're familiar with it, and we just kind of glaze over it. We gloss over it, but realize in the Old Testament, usually when the Bible would speak of God visiting people, uh, visiting on nations, he would often do that in judgment. When God visited people, it was for the purpose of judgment. He would visit them in wrath and retribution for their sins. But if you'll notice, that is not why God is visiting his people in verse 68. He, he, he did not come to condemn, but to save. Isn't that what, what Jesus himself said was the, the purpose of the Father? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now beyond that, if you'll notice what he says, it says God has visited his people. Jesus was the embodiment, he was the incarnation of God. And when Jesus showed up, God was literally visiting his people. Because what, 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 did the, what, what does Isaiah 9 say? You shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means what? God with us. Jesus is God visiting his people. But what's accomplished by this visit? Verse 68. He has accomplished redemption for his people and raised up a horn of salvation. (coughs) Now that word redemption, back then, it was used to to speak of somebody who who was enslaved... And somebody would pay the price for their freedom. That is what redemption is. It's paying the price for the redemption, for the freedom of another. 
Somebody who's in bondage. And mankind was and is in bondage to sin. Mankind is, is, is enslaved to sin and death and ultimately the devil. And listen, before you get saved or before you got saved, you were a slave of the devil. You were a slave of sin. Because you, couldn't, you, just, you, you lived a life of sin. But God has delivered us. He has, he has redeemed his people. Now, I want to caution you, don't, don't get the misunderstanding or the, the wrong idea that God was somehow paying the devil off whenever Jesus died on the cross. That was not a, that, that was not a payment to the devil. Instead, we have a sin debt towards God. We, God has given a, given a law. He said that this, these are the things you need to do. These are the things you need not to do. Be holy, for I am holy. Love your neighbors as yourself, and so on and so forth. And each of us, both in, in action and nature, in deeds, we, we have all broken His law. And His law has a just claim on us. Because of our sin, there is a penalty associated with that. But on the cross, Jesus paid that debt that you owe to God. Jesus took our place. It was a vicarious, substitutionary atonement. Jesus died in the place of those who would trust in Him. He paid the debt that, that, that our sin uh, was, had accumulated towards God. God caused the iniquity of us all, the Bible says, to fall on Him. Jesus took our sin in His body on the tree. The Bible says He's a propitiation. He satisfied the debt that was owed to God. And now there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is, there is redemption that He accomplished. But if you look further at verse uh, at verse 69, he has also raised up a horn of salvation. Raised up a horn of salvation. Now, now that's language that is not real familiar, is it? Now, it's, it's, it's common in the Old Testament. It's common in, in the Old Testament prophecies. It's common in the Psalms. Uh, talking about this horn of salvation, what does that mean? Well, well let, let, let me back up. As you read through Zacharias' prophecy, you'll notice that he uses a lot of Old Testament terminology. And his falls in line with the other Old Testament prophets where, where there is like a, a, a nearer or a lesser fulfillment, and then there's a greater fulfillment as well. And we'll see that here in just a minute with what Zechariah says. But, but what does it mean to raise up a horn of salvation? Well, it's the, the picture is drawn from, an, from, from seeing animals that have horns, and, and, and their horns are associated with power and strength. Now, in this part of the country, we have white-tailed deer. Now, I know if you're persnickety, you're going to think to yourself, but they don't have horns, they have antlers. I know that, and there is a difference. Antlers are lost every year, horns are not. Anyway, but just, just bear with me for the purpose of illustration. So, imagine if you would, you see a buck, and he had, well, he, he, he's like a He's got all the horns. You know, he's got a big old rack. And then you see a similarly sized buck, and his, his rack is not too impressive. You see the two side by side. Which one is associated in your mind as being stronger or more powerful? The one that has the bigger rack. Even though they may be uh, about the same size in body, there's an association that the one that has the, the, the bigger antlers, the bigger horns, is stronger, is more powerful. Likewise, you think about like a, a Texas Longhorn. You know, they got big old horns sticking out, and you see a similarly sized uh, bull, and he's just got little nubbies. Which one are you looking at? You're saying, well, that one is bigger and stronger. I wouldn't want to mess with him. One that has the big horns. And that's the picture 
of raising up a horn of salvation. It's saying that this Savior is powerful. This Savior is strong. This Savior is, is mighty. He is mighty to save. We just sang it just a minute ago. And so he's raised up this horn of salvation, this strong Savior. God can save to the uttermost. In other words, there is no sin too big, no sin too heinous, no sin that is so ingrained in who you are that God cannot deliver you from that. He can save you from that. Jesus is a powerful Savior. So he's brought redemption. He's raised up a horn of salvation. Next it says that God visiting his people in the person of Christ brings deliverance from our enemies and being rescued from those that hate us. Now again, this is common Old Testament language. Whenever you read the Old Testament prophets, there's, there's a blending of, of, this, uh, of this, like a political reality, but also a spiritual salvation. And they're all kind of melded into one. And that's why the, the, the people, the Jewish people, when Jesus came onto the scene, they saw him as the Messiah. They thought primarily in political terms because they associated this deliverance only with their physical enemies. Now, when Zechariah is talking about this, what, what he's saying is there is a political reality associated with the salvation of Jesus. Because one day Jesus will reign and rule physically and visibly on the earth. He'll put all enemies under his feet. That's still yet future. But primarily the salvation that he's talking about, is a, a, the, the fuller salvation he's talking about, is salvation from sin. And I'm not just making this up. If you look down in verse 77, you'll see what, what I'm talking about. He talks about this, this Messiah, this one that the forerunner that John the Baptist would go before, would, would give his people the knowledge of salvation by what? The forgiveness of sins. Salvation does have a political reality associated with it at the end. But in the meantime, we have salvation primarily, this deliverance primarily from sin and death and the devil. Jesus came to destroy, the Bible says, the works of of the devil. When we get saved, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. Jesus did that on the cross. He saved us from hell by dying on the cross. That's a past reality. There's a present reality whereby we are freed on an ongoing basis from the slavery of sin. Because we're joined with Christ in his death, we are, sin no longer reigns over us. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. He said, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. In other words, when you get saved, you are, you are joined with Jesus. And as Jesus died on the cross, we have died to sin, and, and sin no longer reigns over us. Sin no longer has control over us. And so the point of salvation, at the point of salvation, He delivers us from the penalty of sin. Our, our, our record is wiped clean. We're no longer going to hell. We're going to heaven. There's a present reality where God is freeing us from the... From, from the so, so there's the, the, the penalty of sin. We also have the presence... Um, sorry, not the presence, the power of sin in our daily lives that we're being delivered from as God sanctifies us, transforms us, changes us, makes us more like Christ. And eventually we will be saved from the very presence of sin in heaven. Now what's the outcome? What's the purpose of all this? Look at verse 74. 
he, he's doing this. He's fulfilling his oath to Abraham. Two, verse 74, here's the purpose, to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We, our salvation should lead to our service. God didn't save us to sit in a pew. He saved us to serve in his army. God, God, we are God's workmanship creating Christ Jesus for what? Good works that we might walk in them. The, the, the Bible tells us that, that right, right here, he says that we have been given this salvation to grant us that we might serve him without fear. Well, there should be an inward purity, purity of heart. There should be an outward holiness in our actions. That's righteousness. And we should do all this service before him in the light in the light of and the knowledge of his presence and his enabling power. God has saved us for a purpose, and that's to spread the good news, to, to, to glorify him in our daily lives. Finally, I want you to see his tender mercy. His tender mercy. Now, why did God do all this? Verses 72 and 73. It was an act of mercy and covenant loyalty and faithfulness. Remember, God made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 16 and and, and uh, chapter 22, he, he reiterates this. He says, In you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. You'll be the father of many nations. And, and in your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And Paul takes that in, in the book of Galatians and he says, You know what? He didn't say seed plural. He said seed singular because in Jesus, all nations of the earth are blessed. Because of Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where on earth you are. No matter what your nationality is or anything else, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Zechariah goes on to speak about John being the, the forerunner of Jesus. And then look at verses 77 and 78, right at the end there. He says that salvation comes by the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. We are forgiven. We are made right with God, not on the basis of what we do, not on the basis of, of our deserving it, but on the tender mercy of God. And, and I, want, I want to leave you with that word today. That God has offered you salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else. There, it's found only in the Lord Jesus. And if you've already trusted Christ for salvation, I know many of you have, that is something to be thankful for. That is something that even, even today we'll have a time of prayer instead of just closing your eyes and thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. That'd be a great time for you to actually go to God in prayer and thank Him for saving you because it was an act of tender mercy. He, he didn't give you what you deserved. He didn't give you condemnation. Now there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a glorious truth. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, trust Him today. It's offered to you freely. And all who would, uh, all you have to do is believe. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. It's not because you're just a really swell guy. It's offered to you freely as an act of His mercy and His love. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come forward. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to pose the question to you.
for you to answer in your own heart and your own mind. Are you a believer? Not do you come to church. Not have you been confirmed. Not have you been baptized. Not have you been, have you taken the Lord's Supper or any of those other things that people tend to focus on. Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Have you repented of your sin? If the answer to that is no, friend, today the Bible says that you stand condemned already because you've not believed on the name of the only Son of God. But the Bible also says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart the God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray for um, I pray for each person that's um, that's hearing this today. As we consider our own hearts, Lord, I pray that if 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 we are not your child, that you would let us be uh, aware of that. And God, I pray that you would draw any person that that uh, needs to become a Christian today. Draw them to yourself. Let them become a follower of Christ. Let them turn from their sin, repent of it, and trust Christ. God, for uh, those of us who have done that, uh, I know many folks here have. Lord, we join our hearts and our, our, our prayers in thanks to you for saving a wretch like us, an old sinner like us who's on his way to hell, who didn't have any, um, we didn't have anything in the asset column. All we had was our debts. All we had was our sin. And you forgive us. You cleanse us and you wash us. You make us white as snow. And we thank you for, for that. And God, for anything that we have in our hearts, some of us are carrying a, a burden today. We lift those up to you. We ask that you would bear that for us, that you would strengthen us as we go through our different situations. In Jesus' name, amen.